Welcome to the Onside Podcast. We're here to share stories about innovation-driven entrepreneurship, inspire others, share knowledge, and build a community here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is our second full episode. So thank you for joining us. Today, we are speaking with the talented and charismatic Ross Simmons, who is a local and international marketing brand guru. Ross Simmons is the founder of Foundation, a content marketing company, as well as the founder of Hustle and Grind, an e-commerce store for entrepreneurs. He's also the author of The Hustle Manifesto and Standout, a guide to turning your passion into your work and how to differentiate your brand. Based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Ross is an entrepreneur and marketer who is passionate about all things tech and who consistently strives to give back. He sits on the board of directors of Volta Labs, the Black Business Initiative, Boys and Girls Club of Preston, as well as the board of trustees for Phoenix Youth Programs. Over the last 10 years, Ross has worked closely with a wide range of brands across the globe, ranging from Fortune 500 companies to up-and-coming startups. He's been published in Forbes, Huffington Post, Business Insider, VentureBeat, BET, CBC, Social Media Examiner, and more. Ross is known for his work in growth marketing, SlideShare, Instagram, and digital marketing as a whole. He was named in Mashable as one of the top Snapchat marketers in the world, and he has shared his thoughts on marketing and tech around the globe at conferences and events, such as SearchLove, CTA Conference, MozCon, and more. So those are all great things. And so welcome, Ross. I'm so glad that you're able to join us here on our show. Alex, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much for uh, having me on and giving me an invite. I'm excited to be number two on the uh, on the Onside podcast. It's going to be fun. All right. Awesome. Just because you're number two, we, we it doesn't mean anything. We just, this is our second episode. <laughs> we, you're you're, still, I like you're still a number one in our hearts. I appreciate so. it. <laughs> So thanks so much. So, um, you know, I just uh, shared a few things about you and uh, these are some of your accomplishments, but I thought maybe you could uh, share with us a little bit of, of your own background. For sure. So my name is Ross Simmons, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm a born and raised local guy. I grew up in Preston, Nova Scotia, uh, and now I currently live in Halifax. So I've been born and raised in the, the greatest province of Nova Scotia. I've spent a lot of time on planes traveling around, but at the core, I've been a, a geek and a nerd since I was a, a wee kid. I've always been obsessed with the internet. I've always been obsessed more than anything with entrepreneurship. When I was in high school, I so sold do-rags out of a locker. When I was in university, I started a fantasy football blog. Um, when I was out of university, I started an events company. Uh, and then after that, I joined a local agency. And at the same time, I was still running a marketing blog and a handful of other side businesses. So for me, I've been an entrepreneur from uh, the very beginning. I can remember one of my very first moments of kind of creation was in elementary school when I created a board game for my friends, which was called On Your Way to the NBA. And that was a board game where you would kind of play like life and try to make it to the NBA and sold that game and people loved it. And that was, again, just like uh, an instant insight into kind of my way of thinking around creation and trying new things. And that's been something that I've embraced and it's something that I've used to kind of get me where I am today. Uh, and I love creating new things and I'll never stop. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate your your energy and your your passion. That's really um, inspiring. Um, you know, at Onside, one of the things we're 
focused on is around innovation-driven entrepreneurship. And, you know, uh, to be an entrepreneur, you definitely need to have that creative energy and those creative creative juices. Um, do you have an idea of what a way that you might define innovation-driven entrepreneurship? I know you're interested in tech. Right. Is 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 how how would you define innovation-driven entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I've been in entrepreneurship for quite some time, but the whole obsession around the the technology side of things has definitely been something in that kind of came to life post university or even during university. Uh, to me, the idea of innovation-driven entrepreneurship is really applying new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things, new systems, new ideas, new concepts, and applying that to traditional values and needs that humans have. I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of entrepreneurs make is thinking that humans as uh, at the core actually change. But in reality, our needs, our desires, our hopes, our wishes are relatively the same as they were 200 years ago. Like we as humans have not changed that much in terms of evolution of, of us as beings. And because of that, if you can apply new ways to satisfy those deep-rooted needs that humans have had for decades, then you will be able to drive value and ultimately leverage innovation to create something that people want. Uh, Innovation-driven entrepreneurship to me is really just taking the ideas that others have created in the past, taking your own perspective, taking your own skills, taking your own uh, view on the world and applying that to age-old problems and creating something special and something new through it. I always encourage folks to embrace this idea of experimentation. And I think that anyone who is really at their core an innovator would agree that experiments are key. Experiments are simply coming up with a hypothesis, running tests on a regular basis, looking at the results to see what the outcome was, and then continuing to try new things and be okay with the idea of failure along the journey. There's a lot of people who kind of stop when they experiment once and they get met with failure. They press publish on a new project. They press publish on a new app, a new product that they've developed, a new newsletter, a new YouTube channel, etc. They just press publish on something that they've created and they're not met with the response that they would have hoped and then they quit. I think that's a big mistake. Innovation-driven entrepreneurship is when you keep getting up to bat, you keep trying new things, you keep experimenting, uh, and you're willing to get your hands messy in the journey, in the process of entrepreneurship. That sounds very hands-on. That sounds like you have to have some some thick skin to kind of keep on going and, and pull yourself up. You know, um, so we, we at the very beginning, you know, I, I shared some of your accomplishments and you talked a little bit sort of about your background, <laughs> but, you know, was there something? And you're, you're talking about this kind of need to pick yourself up. Right. Um, was there something that sort of sparked your interest in, in marketing or sure. um, something that got you going? Yeah. So there's definitely two pivotal moments that I would say kind of sparked my interest in marketing and that sparked my interest in tech. So for marketing, it's kind of funny and it's not really uh, that uh, interesting, but I saw a movie when I was a kid called Boomerang and there was a gentleman in the movie who was black and I was like, whoa, there's a black guy doing business and marketing. I want to be like him. And he was running an ad agency. And I was like, oh, that is so cool. And I was like 14 at the time. So I thought, oh, this is cool. I want to do work like him. So when I saw that movie, that kind of triggered this whole idea of, okay, I can do marketing and that'll be fun. Uh, but then it got a little bit deeper as I started to grow and start to learn about marketing and learn about business. When I was in university, I started to study marketing. But at the same time, I was, I was very much blown away by the fact that 
in the weekends and whenever I would walk into the library, I would see everyone on Facebook. I would see everyone on Twitter. I would see the computer screens across the entire campus filled with pixels. But for some reason, none of the teachers, none of the professors were actually teaching us about technology. None of them were teaching us about social media. None of them were teaching us about um, podcasting, blog posts, SEO, SEM, nothing related to marketing and tech. So that to me stood out as an opportunity. It stood out as an opportunity because I knew that when I walked across that stage, I was going to be just like everyone else in my graduation class, knowing nothing about marketing from a modern standpoint and simply knowing things about billboards and TV and radio and the fundamentals of things like the four piece. And I was like, this isn't going to be a, a good look. Like this isn't going to work. So while I was in university, I started to invest on my own into the understanding and embracing this idea of how can you use technology to promote brands? How can you use technology to be a better marketer? So I started to write all my papers about digital marketing. I started a blog at rawsimmons.com about marketing. And at that time, I was writing about things that I was learning about Facebook. I was writing about things I was learning about Twitter, about YouTube, etc. So I started to create content about the things that I wanted to learn about. And that really started to move me into a path where in the creation of that content, I discovered um, startups and I started to learn a little bit more about this whole economy outside of the region down in Silicon Valley, where people were launching these companies, they were raising capital and they were creating world-changing products and solutions. So at that point, I decided I need to learn more about this space. So I started to write about that space. And as I started to create content for people who were in that space, it started to show me, wow, I'm in Nova Scotia in my parents' basement drinking stale coffee and people all over the world are reading my ideas as a 23, 24-year-old about business and startups. This is going to take off. So I doubled down on that interest and I continued to read about startups. I started to read more and more about tech. I started to spend more and more time publishing content online. And as a result of that, I've been able to kind of build a career on the back of those initial interests um, in marketing and technology. So I would say it all started with just being curious and wanting to find a bit of a competitive advantage when I did graduate from university. And then it became an obsession because I dream in pixels now and I love everything that I do in the, the wonderful world of the Internet. That's awesome. Um, is is uh, Boomerang the one with Eddie Murphy? Is that Boomerang? It is. That is Boomerang. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> My parents, I know what you're talking <laughs> Yeah. That is the one with Marcus Carvey. Yeah. Eddie Murphy and Boomerang. That's the one. Okay. I was like, I know this movie. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know what my parents were thinking. Let me watch, and watch that movie so young because I've rewatched it and I was like, yeah, kids probably shouldn't see this movie. But uh, yeah, that was definitely the movie that, that triggered my interest into marketing. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it did. And, 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 you know, it made Makes sense now, based on what you've told me, you know, how you put together your your uh, hustle manifesto, because uh, you, you basically, you know, reflected your own life where you had this passion, educated yourself, built up your skills and realized that you could create a, a career and a opportunity to express yourself and do do the thing that you love. Um, and I think that's really exciting. And uh, shows a lot of passion and innovation, really, in creating something that's new for you. So Thanks. that's 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 really great. Um, you know, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
you know, we have a lot of, especially here in Nova Scotia, we have a lot of really smart uh, tech entrepreneurs. We have a lot of people who are, we have a lot of PhDs, we have a lot of universities, we have a lot of capacity and research facilities and things like that. So we have a lot of people who are coming up with great products and services. But one of the things that, that sometimes happens is that a lot of um, those uh, people who are doing those things uh, get a little bit intimidated by marketing. You know, that might not be the part of their brain that they're using. What What do you think intimidates, uh, you know, some tech entrepreneurs about marketing and branding and and how can they overcome that fear? Yeah, so I think you're right when you say fear and that is essentially the core of it all. The fear of being judged how people will perceive the brand, the fear of being judged of how people will judge your ideas, the fear of your story getting out there and people not responding well to it. It is truly just a fear. Um, and I think the best way of getting over that fear is to put on the hat of experimentation and recognize that fear is not something that you should let hold you back from telling your brand story. Because if you never get that story out there, then you're not going to be successful with your business. So I think at the core of it, the biggest piece is recognizing like what is the reason why you don't want to press publish on blog posts? A lot of people will say, oh, we don't really have the perfect content right now, or we don't want to run an ad because it's not it's not right. Our landing pages aren't perfect. Our website design isn't perfect. That's, that's essentially just a fear that we are telling ourselves um, or putting in front of ourselves that is stopping us from holding back. And more times than not, the only reason why we do in fact hold ourselves back is because of the fear of judgment. And I think that that is the first thing that we fundamentally need to recognize is that all of those things are just excuses for not wanting to be judged by our peers, not wanting to be judged by our friends, not wanting to be judged by ourselves even. Like at the end of the day, if you have an idea and you constantly in your mind are able to tell yourself, oh, it's not perfect yet. It's not right yet. It's going to be better in the future. That is a great crutch to kind of lean on because in your mind, you can tell yourself when it does go live, this is going to be amazing. Or when this does go out there to the world, people are going to love it. And it's just not the right time right now. Like that feels good. But when you press publish on those things and it does go out there to the world and you don't get that reassurance, it makes you confront the truth and the reality that maybe it wasn't what it needed to be. But the benefit of getting over that hurdle is the fact that by simply pressing publish, by simply getting this stuff out there to the world and getting it in front of your ideal customers, or your ideal audience, you have the ability to learn quicker, learn faster, and then pivot as a result of that. Most people are so afraid of being judged and receiving that negative feedback that they never get started. And I think that that is the underlying reason why people um, hold themselves back. And if I was to say anything, it would be this, recognize that the world is much bigger than the small bubble of Atlantic Canada. And when you are able to get outside of that, the the whole world can open up to you. Like it's never been a better time to connect with people outside of uh, the region. It has never been a better time to sell to people outside of the region. You have the ability to do that thanks to technology. And it probably, for the most part, doesn't matter what type of industry, what type of business or solution you're in. If you go at it with a creative perspective, you can sell to people outside of the market. And that, as a result, can give you a business that will thrive for years to come. Thank you. I, I appreciate that uh, that insight. I think I, I think you have touched on something that's really poignant is uh, around getting over that fear right. of putting yourself out there and also that experimentation, because I think you're right. 
uh, the first time you put something out out there, whether it's yourself or your business or whatever, you're probably not going to knock it out the park. But if you but if you don't right, right. if you don't put it out there, you'll never make that that incremental progress or pivot or change or, or those kinds of things. So that's uh, exactly like I can remember one of my first blog posts that I published. I was trying this new channel called Medium.com, and I press publish on a new piece of content. It was when I was fresh out of school, but I wanted to really break into the scene, and I got two. Likes. One was from one of my followers on Twitter and one was from my mom. Like that sucked. But at the end of the day, that reality showed me like, okay, I now have done it. I've, I can learn from this. I can learn that I need to distribute my content more effectively and I can keep getting up to bat. Like it doesn't have to be the end. It should really just be the beginning of a lesson that you can then use to build upon for years to come. I like that. I like that your mom gave you a like. I, I, I'm not even sure if my mom. <laughs> she still does. <laughs> she still does. She's my biggest fan. It's wild. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm not, I was going to say, I'm not sure my mom would know how to do the likes, but uh, she's, she's <laughs> She's, she's getting there. She's getting there. Um, well, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, the need to put yourself out there. And, you know, I was looking on your your website, sleuthing around and things like that. And I know you do some some work in uh, uh, B2B and B2C uh, for a variety of different industries and companies and things like that. Um what do you think is, uh, I mean, you're, you're involved in it all the time. What do you think is the main difference between B2C marketing and B2B marketing right now? Yeah, great question. So I'm a big fan of both B2B and B2C, but our agency foundation, we focus primarily on uh, the wonderful world of B2B. And the reason why we love B2B is because we understand the buying journey much better because it is very much a linear process. In B2C, it is not linear at all. There's oftentimes purchases that are made solely out of impulse. That's not something that you will see regularly in the world of B2B. There aren't a lot of impulse buying and emotional decision making. Sure, it gets emotional, but you're not making decisions that are rooted in the emotions of, I just had a massive argument with a friend. I need to buy this thing. Or I'm making this purchase because I see that something is happening with my family and I need to make this purchase. Or I'm self-conscious about the way that my hair looks, so I'm going to make this purchase. That doesn't happen in B2B. Um, People in B2C want to buy now. Oftentimes, it is a solo purchaser or it's happening within a family, while in B2B, it's typically an account-based decision or a solo buyer where it's like uh, within an organization, the CMO who talks to the VP of product, the VP of marketing, et cetera, they spend a lot more time on research. But in B2C, the buying cycle is extremely short as well. So in B2B, you might have a much longer buying cycle where you need to pitch, you need to build trust with the CEO, the CFO, you need to connect with a lot of other players, you need to nurture them through email outreach, etc. But with B2C, you might just need to have an ad that shows a clever looking uh, animation and then promotes your toothbrush and then somebody is buying from you. So I think the, the biggest difference is the way in which people make decisions around those products. And in B2B, it's oftentimes a very cerebral process, but in B2C, it's very much an emotional heart-driven process. And I think that's what the biggest difference is between B2B and B2C. Hmm. Interesting. 
Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. What about? I also noticed you talk about boring industries. What, right. What are what are boring What are boring industries, and what do what do boring industries need to do? Right. So I always say that there B two B in many cases is considered as a whole a very boring industry, and the reason why it's boring is because we're talking about things that aren't as fancy as nice sneakers and tourism and beautiful. Uh, photography shots of travel and things like that. But at the end of the day, I believe there's no real boring industries at its core. There's just a lot of boring marketers. And for the last few years, the most boring industries have been in B2B because a lot of the marketers who work in B2B do boring things and create boring content. What does that mean? What does that look like? If we think about Industries that are very traditional, when we think about industries that are selling widgets, when we're thinking about industries that sell things like dirt or um, natural resources, etc., those are typically considered boring industries. Software, in many cases, is considered a boring industry, especially when you're talking about things like procurement software or CRMs and things of that nature. These are things that a lot of people continue to be boring. But what I believe is that everything can be interesting if you get closer to your customer and you get closer to understanding what differentiates um, your brand from the next. And if you can own that and you can tell that story on a regular basis, it gives you the opportunity to build a brand that is worth following and ultimately a brand that isn't boring. We fall into this trap in the wonderful world of B2B of thinking we have to just continue to do things like our competition. But the competition is already boring. The competition is already doing the same old white papers, the same old blog posts, the same old webinars, et cetera. They're following the same blueprint. What I always recommend to B2B brands is let's think about our customers and let's think about who they are outside of the office. What content are they consuming? What type of content do they share? How can you uncover and understand the type of content that these users want in their personal life or even from the B2C lens and then apply that same thinking and format and style to the world of B2B. If your audience is a C-suite executive, but those C-suite executives are spending time on Instagram or spending time on LinkedIn, you don't just say, what is our what is our direct competitors doing on these channels? You ask yourself, what are the best brands doing on these channels? And you look to try to uncover what we call content user fit. And content user fit is when you have a piece of content that resonates with your users on a significant level. So they're always sharing this type of content. They're always engaging with it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be from your space. Once you uncover that and you understand, okay, this is the type of content our audience wants, you need to take inspiration from that content, apply it to your industry, apply it to your customers and the needs and the solutions that you're offering them and start to create that type of content. When you do that, you have content market fit. And when you have content market fit, you now understand how you can consistently at scale deliver content that is interesting to an audience that has traditionally been met with boring content. And as a result of that, be able to create a relationship and a connection with these buyers that will last ideally a lifetime. Wow, that's real, that's great. I, I'm 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 jotting down notes, taking taking away uh, points and tips for for our for onsite as well. I think that that's a awesome. good good advice that we can all kind of uh, be absorbing and thinking about. Now, what what about um, what about positioning? You know, like we know that it can be the difference between success and failure for a brand. Like, why is that? 
why is that so important? And, you know, we're we're in a very unique time right now. There's a global pandemic. It's a crisis sort of situation. But, you know, and it's it's very serious right now. And so people's attention is a little bit different. Um you know, but there there are often other kinds of crises and things like that. Why why is positioning so important? For sure. So the reason why positioning is so important is because you're always going to be compared to the next company up, right? So every organization that is going to be purchased or any product that is going to be purchased is likely being compared to something else. And what you want to do is ensure that you are being positioned well when you are being compared to others. The other key piece to understand here is there's a saying that there's riches in the niches or there's riches in the niches, however you want to pronounce niche. Um, But at the core of that is the idea that the closer you can get to telling a story that resonates with your individual customers and their problems, the more likely you are to be able to get to that conversion point. So if brand A is selling a product or a solution and they're telling the world, we are a CRM for doctors, and that is their story, they are going to do a much better job at selling to doctors than the CRM company that says, we are a CRM for anyone. We are a CRM for hospitals, for doctors, for lawyers, for police, for um, B2B salespeople, for software companies, for HR people. We can do it all. The company that is going to do better when it comes to selling to doctors is the one that is positioned as solely being a CRM for doctors. And I think that is the key difference. The, the, The biggest mistake that a brand can make is try to say, we do all things for everyone. And that happens so often. We are the best X for all companies. Who's your customer? We have 20 different types of customers. Let's have 50 different personas. We can target anyone. We can sell to everyone. We can sell to anyone in anything. That is a horrible way to go to the market because if you try to speak to everyone, when you are especially a startup, you are going to resonate with no one. Because everyone is going to be like, ah, yeah, but there's this one solution, this one product that is tailored directly to me and my needs. So I'm going to go with them. Sorry, you're out of, you're not, I'm not interested in what you're offering because this one is tailored directly to me. That is the way that you will lose out. If you haven't read the book um, by April Dumford called Obviously Awesome, I strongly recommend it, especially to any listeners. Uh, She is, in my mind, one of the, the brightest minds today in the wonderful world of positioning. She takes a lot of old age philosophies and theories around positioning and just brings it to life in a modern context. And I would strongly recommend that folks check out her book, Obviously Awesome. Okay, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great recommendation. Yeah, I think you know it's uh, it's really difficult, especially when you're starting out and you're you're trying to get traction and get customers uh, to uh, start getting distracted and start in a way diluting your brand by trying to be too many things to too many people. So, I think that that's a sage advice for uh, for folks to really understand who who they're going after and how to uh, position themselves to do that. Uh, you know, I, I also mentioned, you know, right now we're at a very specific time, you know, where there's a crisis that's going on, uh, global pandemic. Um, and, you know, a lot of companies are trying to figure out how to communicate and how to sell and how to position their themselves during this this time. And it's a lot of, it's left, a, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs a little bit unsure about how they should, you know, market their brands or if they should do that. Uh, in the face of of COVID nineteen, do you, do you have some advice or some suggestions on 
things that they could do to to be active in this period um or or is it advise it to just you know uh, sit still and be quiet until it's over what's what do you what do you, what's your thought on that yeah it's it's definitely a rough time for everyone right like across the globe this crisis has flipped everything on its head it sucks in many ways to put it bluntly um and to be doing marketing at this time, it can kind of feel insensitive and you can kind of feel like, oh, wow, I live in this world of a bubble where I'm able to still do my job and do my work while so many people are struggling. And it kind of feels like you're hammering a nail into a rock day after day and people walk by and they see you doing this thing and you're like, okay, I'm still going at it. I'm still pushing out content. Uh, and they're like, why are you just nailing on this rock day after day? And you're asking yourself, like, what, am I even doing the right thing? Like, should I do this? Like, I see that there's a few chips in the rock, a few things that are falling off, but for the most part, there's no real difference. And I think that's going to be the reality for a lot of brands in the next few months for, for a while. Like you're going to continue to just hit a nail into a rock day after day, and you're going to feel like you're not getting any reward, but eventually you'll have one final blow and that rock's going to split in half. And when that happens, it's not going to because be because that one blow that you took at the end of nailing into this rock was the best blow that you ever did. It's going to be because you took 625 other blows before that, that got you to that point where you were able to see that rock split. So while it may feel very unfulfilling right now, it might feel foolish. It might feel insensitive. It might even feel wasteful. I recommend that brands don't pause your efforts. Don't pause nailing into that rock. Instead, just adjust the way that you do it. You have to lead with empathy. You need to lead with understanding the fact that yes, in most cases, what we are doing is not um, the priority for so many people right now. People are in a situation where they have their kids at home. So if they're not responding to your emails right away, lead with empathy. Uh, understand that their situation is not exactly the same as yours and recognize that everyone is going to be going through even worse situations than that where loved ones are being impacted by this and passing away as a result of the pandemic. So I think at the core, I like to rely on data and the data shows that in every crisis that we've seen in the modern day where uh, technology has been around, people have continued to go to the internet and look for content. People have continued to go online and look for information. And yes, they even look for information around products and services and solutions like yours and like ours. Because of that, I think it's important that you do continue to create content. I think you have to lead with empathy, as I mentioned, but the stats and the data shows that year over year, even in 2008, when we had the recession, people still were looking for content on an up, uptick, right? Like there was a continuous rise for the brands that launched in 2007 in 2008. In 2008, there was also an uptick in the number of people looking for very niche categories. We've done some research at Foundation across even more traditional industries like fitness. And even in that space, more people were online looking for content online on Google because again, people still want information. To build on that, we do live in an interesting time where this pandemic has resulted in everyone staying home. And because everyone is staying home, there's more people online. And because there's more people online, now is much different than 2008. It's much more different than any recession that we've seen before because technology is at a point where it's never been before. So you have the ability to connect with people deeper and more intentionally 
than ever before. And because of that, my recommendation is not to pause any of your content marketing efforts. It's not to pause any of your um, communication efforts, unless of course your business has taken a, a massive hit and you're struggling to stay afloat. Then of course you have to pivot. You need to adjust. But my recommendation to those who can still sell their solution, sell their service, sell their product is to not pause your message because you feel like you're hammering a nail into a rock and it feels unfulfilling. My recommendation is to adjust the way that you're hammering it. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. Um, you know, what, you know, what are, what are, um, what are, cause you, that was really, um, helpful and sort of insightful about, you know, you're right. We are in this moment where there are more and more people who are online with nowhere to go, um, and who have access to the internet and the tools and information is, is literally right at your, at your fingertips. Um, what are some, some tools that some startups can, that startups could use right now, uh, that you think are kind of interesting or that, that you recommend? Yeah. So from a, a marketing standpoint, some of the tools that I think are interesting are those that kind of augment people. And that is they, they'll they never, like marketing will never, marketers will never be completely replaced by artificial intelligence. That's my hypothesis. That's my belief. But there are things that we do that can be replaced through technology and they will make us more productive and give us the ability to do things that um, are more meaningful and more valuable to our customers. For example, scheduling content is something that a lot of marketers do every single day. They go in, they manage their Twitter account, they go in, they manage their Facebook, they manage their Snapchat, Instagram, et cetera, their LinkedIn. But since we've started recording this podcast, I think I've sent out two tweets, one LinkedIn post, and maybe one or two on Facebook. I've been able to schedule my content using a tool called Buffer that allows me to be present even when I'm not actively managing those accounts and managing those social channels. So I strongly recommend that you take control of your calendar by embracing tools like Buffer that allow you to schedule your content in advance. That is one of the, the best ways that I believe marketers can make the most of their time. And if you're not sure like even how to plan your content in advance, I would recommend you check out um, foundationinc.co. We have a content calendar that is free that you can download uh, and it will help you guide and understand um, how to schedule and plan your content. Uh, and I would recommend you check out Foundations Labs. We have tons of products like that that you can, you can use. So uh, that would be the starting point from a tool standpoint. But I would also recommend folks who may be very new in this world to understand the fundamental marketing tools, things like Google Analytics. You need to know data around the people visiting your website, and Google Analytics offers you that. You also want to capture the information of the people who you are trying to connect with so you can sell to them on a regular basis. And what I mean by that is algorithms change. So sure, you have 500 followers on Instagram. That's great. But if Facebook decides that they're going to change their algorithm, you may no longer be able to reach those people. The same way that early on, Facebook told all of us that we should pay to get a bunch of likes on our page. And now we have to pay to reach the people who we paid to like us. If you do not want to play that game where algorithms are constantly wiping you out, I strongly recommend that you also invest in having a newsletter. So you can use sites like 
uh, MailChimp, ConvertKit, ClickFunnels, ActiveCampaign, etc., to establish a newsletter where you own the relationship with your customers, with your audience, and you can actually nurture those via email. I always say, I love social media. I love Twitter. I love Reddit. I love Instagram. I love all of these channels, but email is without question one of the most undefeated channels for connecting with your customers. And as many times as we've heard gurus preach and say that email is dead, it has never been more alive and it will continue to be a thriving force as long as we want to connect with other people. And that's not going to change anytime soon. Mm, Thank you for that. I definitely know that my email is a good source uh, for receiving marketing content. Uh, I have a ridiculous number of advertisements that come to me all the time, but I do not delete them. Right. I keep them nice. and I keep saying I should unsubscribe. <laughs> you know, I should unsubscribe to this one. I, you know, I don't shop there that much, right. but I don't and I keep them. And just even seeing the name yeah. pop up in your email for my, even if I don't even open right. it, right. reminds me of that particular brand. It's so true. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, and I just wanted to ask just a couple, couple final, final questions as we, as we come to the end. Um, if you could, if you could turn back time, what would you say to yourself 10 years ago to yourself 10 years ago? You know, you've, you've reached this new point today, but if you could go back in time and whisper in your ear 10 years ago, what would you say to yourself? Publish more. That would be it. Like publish more. I had, I fell into the trap that so many do where I had a lot of content just in my drafts and I didn't press publish for a very long time. And then I would always see people go live with the ideas and concepts that I wish I would have actually just had the confidence to press publish on. So my, my advice to myself 10 years ago would be don't be afraid, press publish uh, and get everything out there that you've developed rather than sitting on it, waiting for it to be perfect. Um, and then my other piece of advice to myself back then would be, remember, there are no rules when it comes to uh, creation and you can just create things and see how the world responds. Mm, I like that. I like that. And then if somebody was inspired by you, you know, you're, you're out there talking to a lot of people, you're here on our podcast. If someone was inspired by you, what would you say to that person? I'd say that's a great question. Uh, so my, my answer would be the same thing that I would ideally like to tell um, my kids in the future. And that is just like, you are enough, right? Like you are enough. You have everything that you need inside of you to um, take all of that inspiration and turn it into something that uh, gives you the life that you're trying to build. Uh, So just keep chasing it, keep going and you'll, you'll be there. So uh, my advice to anyone who's inspired by me is you are enough. You don't really need me. You've got this. So uh, go for it, chase your dream and turn it into a reality. Okay. Thanks so much for that. Uh, last quick question. Uh, on social media, you go by the cool is cool. Yeah. Um, how did that come about and, and how do you stay so cool? Great question. So I started the Twitter handle, the cool is cool, as a reminder to myself whenever I logged into social media that when I do go on social, when I do go on any of my channels, the intent is not to be the coolest person it's also it's to be true to myself. There's a song by Lupe Fiasco called The Cool, and it's about a young kid who tried to be 
cool. And as a result of it, uh, he went down the wrong path. And my thinking around having this Twitter handle was really just a reminder for myself that it's not about being cool. It's about doing the things that you're most interested in, doing the things that you're most passionate about, and being unapologetic about the fact that you are a nerd who loves Fresh Prince, who loves a lot of random things like comics and superheroes and technology and just leaning into it and owning it and uh, allowing the work to speak for itself. Awesome. I like that. I used to love the Fresh Prince too. I mean, come on. Nice. It is. It is pretty awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, Ross, thanks. Thanks so much. If if people are interested in uh, connecting with you, what's what's the best way that people can find you? Yeah. So the best place is definitely Twitter. If you are on Twitter, check me out at at the coolest cool twitter.com slash the coolest cool. But also to check out rosssimmons.com. Um, I've got a newsletter, and Alex, I look forward to seeing you on it as well. Uh, so I can join all of those brands in your inbox. But I send out emails on a regular basis with my latest thoughts and ideas on content marketing, technology, trends, growth, entrepreneurship, et cetera. So rossimmons.com, check out my newsletter, subscribe there. And it is me on the other end of that email. So if you have any questions, by all means, always hit that little R and reply back. And I'd love to hear from you. But Alex, before we do wrap this up, I want to thank you for having me on. Thank you for bringing this to life in terms of the show. I think it's awesome that we can get these types of voices, these types of stories in front of Atlantic Canadians. So my hat's off to you for, for taking the time to create such a such a powerful platform and delivering value to the community. So thank you for having me on and thank you for bringing this to life. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm happy to do it and we're happy to have you as a guest. So uh, so once again, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And who knows, we might have you back another time. Uh, to all the listeners that are out there, I just want to say thank you for tuning in. We know that you have a choice of the things that you can spend your time on and listen to uh, and we appreciate that if you're able to subscribe and like our podcast that would be great you can also find more information about uh, onside at our website www.onsidenow.ca uh, and also a special shout out to uh, our awesome innovation engagement manager Sharon who helped put this together and our friends at Podstarter so thanks very much for everybody and we'll be hearing from you soon 